El futuro tiene nada más que la confrontación. Hey, welcome to Unpopular Opinion. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. I used to write a bunch of weekly columns for a bunch of internet places, and I would use those columns to put forth all sorts of crazy opinions. Then, I would come on this show to defend those opinions. But now, I don't do much of anything at all. Joining me today, she is a fantastic comedian who you've probably heard on the show before, depending on how long you've been listening. I haven't had her on for a while because I'm not that good at booking this show. She also edits videos professionally with her fancy college degree. Ladies and gentlemen, Elise Golgowski, also joining me. Speaking of fancy college degrees, this guy just got one, and now he's planning your city as we speak. He's also the front man of a fantastic rock band called Countless Thousands, and they're working on a new album, so that's exciting. Ladies and gentlemen, we're always happy to have him here, Danger Van Gorder. It's going to be a great show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Unpopular Opinion. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. Joining me as co-host this week, mwah, my favorite co-host of all, no co-host, but Jeff will be back next week or in a future week. Till then, I got a room full of guests, as usual. Case in point, returning champion has not been here for, I think, about six or seven years, Elise Golgowski. Yes. Hi. I'm How's back. it going? I'm I am, good. I am bad at varying up the bookings on this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, it's all good. I responded to the email and then I never heard. So I was like, oh, I guess maybe he just doesn't like me. Yeah, I <laughs> My I opinions also, were too popular. I also felt bad about that. I sent a booking email and Elise responded. And then at one point, a couple weeks ago, I was going back through it and realized, oh, I just didn't. I didn't reply. You were one of three people that I was just like, I'm right. never replying to that email. I don't know why. But well, it's good to be back. Hey, thanks for being here. It's good to have you here. Um, Elise is a comedian and tell people where they can find you and what kind of stuff you do. Yeah, so I'm a comedian. I'm also a video editor and you can find me on Instagram at the big Golgowski. I'm also there on Twitter too with my hot tweets at the big Golgowski. So you can find me there. I'm on TikTok at Eliski, but please don't look at my TikTok. It's very cringy and <laughs> I don't want anyone I know seeing me go live to talk to teenagers. So. <laughs> oh man, maybe that puts me in some hot water right there. It's like, what are you telling these teenagers? Yeah, speaking of people I don't want going live to talk to teenagers, Danger Van Gorder's here. The hell? What? <laughs> what? What introduction was that? That was fun. Danger, you can do your plugs at the end. Everyone knows. Sure. Hi, guys. Everyone knows where to find you. Yeah. Danger, I'm, like, how's I'm, it going? I'm the right. primary beneficiary of you bringing on the same people too many times and too often. So I love it. Thanks for forgetting about everybody else and just having me on all the time. <laughs> oh, you're not on all the time. Like, it feels like it, and I love it. Your schedule has tightened up since you That's fair. got a real job and yeah. had a real kid. Mm-hmm. Got another one coming here in two months. Kid, you were hauling oh, wow. around for the longest. Yep. Yeah, she's still around. We're doing another unpopular opinions episode, which you'd think we would do that all the time, given the name of the podcast. But no, not really. <laughs> we do these pretty infrequently, but we just did one a couple weeks ago. 
And I had a leftover opinion that I feel like is a bit of a barn burner that I still wanted to bring. So we're doing another one of these episodes. And uh, I think we all brought some fun stuff to talk about. Danger is going to be highly upset by a lot of it, I feel like. (laughs) And that's what we're here for. I'm excited for that. I thought of a new one, even just in the past two minutes, that uh, I might want to trot that one out. Unless you guys want to hear me talk about parking. I'll always talk about parking. Parking's terrible. Well, I mean, you could run that one by us quick right now, and we could decide in real time. Yeah, I feel like what Elise was talking about, oh, no, the TikTok is cringy. And I'm starting to think that, like, cringe early in your life is essential to build good character. Like, you have to do Mm -hmm. things in your youth that are super embarrassing that will actually make you a decent person later on if you have the humility to look back and go like, yeah, that was pretty cringy. I, don't I kind of agree with that though. Yeah, I feel like that's a popular one because I'm yeah. a great person because I was a train wreck when I was <laughs> little. So. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think that's probably a pretty popular opinion. Damn Just, you, danger. Uh, I'm such a conformist. I know, I'm sorry. What are you doing? <laughs> pour more of my overpriced whiskey here. So- what should we start with? Should we start with one of mine? I teased this at the end of the last Unpopular Opinions episode. I warned America they were never going to hear my thoughts on John Stewart. Uh, and now here we are, I guess. Should we talk about John Stewart? Yes, Let's get into it, baby. I love John Stewart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's the thing. I don't hate John Stewart. I don't dislike John Stewart. I think John Stewart's heart is in the right place. He's funny. He's very talented. I just think albeit in a different way than Fox News. Jon Stewart was kind of bad for America during the Bush years. And there's a few different reasons, but I'm not the only one who thinks this, for one thing. In the show notes, I'll link to a few different articles from throughout the years where people on both sides... Yeah, Bill O'Reilly also hates him. (laughs) Well, yeah. Aren't they they friends? (laughs) Are they? It's that sort of George Carlin, it's a big club, you ain't in it kind of thing. Yeah, Yeah. that wouldn't surprise me. One of my problems with Jon Stewart, though, is here's the thing. I get that laughter helps us cope with things and helps us deal with stressful situations. But I also feel like there was a stretch there in the 2000s where people on the left, Democrats, whatever term you want to use, were kind of just getting their news and information from Jon Stewart. And it set us up kind of for... Trump in that our only reaction to absolute evil coming from the right, like legitimate, if we're talking George Bush, legitimate war crimes, our go-to response in every situation is jokes and comedy. And the problem is over the years, this shit has got less and less funny. Mm-hmm. So to keep that uh, Republican politics, our comedy fodder machine going, You just have to focus on inconsequential bullshit, like people slipping up their words in a Fox News interview instead of the actual atrocities that have been happening since 2000. Like Mm -hmm. the Daily Show became political at the right time. It wasn't a political show when Craig Kilborn was hosting it. Mm -hmm. That was the right time for it. And I don't think Jon Stewart had any ill intent. And I don't think it was all bad. Like, obviously, someone needed to be talking about Bush and during wartime, the mainstream media really isn't going to. And that was all wartime under Bush. In in the absence of fairness doctrine, when there's a ton of money to be made from parroting 
disgusting right wing talking points uh, on conservative media. We needed something else to be like, okay, I don't want to listen to fucking Fox News and and the daily news stuff is basically full of crap. But we need something, some apparatus somewhere to call people out. And, you know, if the center left, whatever, I, I tend to think that John Stewart is much more centrist than leftist. And that show skewed towards the middle because it was always about like, you know what, at the end of the day, we got to take turns. And, you know, there was that uh, rally to keep fear alive and that sort of big political event that they did. And the main point they made was sometimes you have to let them go so that you can go. And that like that we have this beautiful side of like the bridge and like all these traffic cars got to go. And we're all going the same way. But sometimes other people have to go first, which I think coddled a lot of Americans into thinking that we just need to wait out the worst impulses of the people on the right, because eventually they'll come to their senses. And like, it took a long time to realize that no fucking a clown got himself elected to the highest office in the land. People are no longer willing to be reasonable and play to that sort of, uh, well, you know, when they go low, we go high kind of thing. And yeah, and that same instinct of like, Bush would say something terrible and then it would just cut to Jon Stewart and go like, Really? And that was like the whole of the counter argument. You know, it's like, okay, that's, yeah, it's stupid. It's hypocritical. These people are evil, but, you know, the goofs and the gags really weren't enough. And it convinced a lot of people to sit down and, and myself included. You know, I loved The Daily Show. I loved Colbert. It was worth me tuning in because it was literally one of two outlets that served people of our ilk. That was in any way mainstream at the time. Yeah, but I feel like when he was, when Jon Stewart was really popular, it was like years after that or whatever, but people started joking about him running for president or whatever. And then they made that movie with Robin Williams about a political, like basically he's a Jon Stewart figure running for president and then winning. And I feel like that kind of, I don't know, it made it seem like, oh, this is what people want to see. This is people don't really want somebody who's there to change it. They just want a clown, a goof. And like, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, when I watched the Republican debates when Trump was running, that's the only time I've ever watched them, just because I liked watching Trump roast all his opponents on stage and stuff. And so I yeah. do feel like, you know, Jon Stewart kind of, that, that idea of making fun of the news and people kind of needing that as a, an escapist, because that's kind of like what Fox News is. It's not really news, it's more entertainment of, look at the left, aren't they stupid? So I can and it see never your stops. point. It's yeah, 24 hours a day. Daily Show was a, was a half hour and that's all we got. Yeah, so I kind of see um, Adam's point and Jon Stewart kind of getting the ball rolling with that, with people seeing like, oh, people like this. They like this more than the actual news. Let's run with it. And you just have to dance and people will like you. So just keep on doing that. And so, yeah, maybe that's how we got Trump. <laughs> I mean, there's always going to be a zillion reasons of why we got Trump. We can, yeah, I, I, I don't ever want to put absolutely. one thing. I, and I would also I say, say that two, right. two other interesting things here is that we've had presidential contender Ben Glebe on this very show. And we've talked to him about if you're going up against a heckler, you know, you got to have a comedian to counter that heckler. I would have been interested to see Mr. Glebe go further in his presidential pursuits. He was an interesting cat, some interesting ideas. But we also have right now the Ukrainian version of Jon Stewart, Zelensky, mm -hmm. uh, who is a wartime president for Ukraine right now, who is in a lot of ways pretty awesome. I don't know a whole lot about their political scene right now, but he's keeping his people together and mocking a fascist dictator in Putin really effectively at the same time. 
So there's a, there's definitely yeah, a, that has a place for that kind of comes absolutely it, nothing it. to do with John Stewart. <laughs> yes, I'm just I saying comedians as has almost nothing to do with how Zelensky became president. If you mm-hmm. look into that, also, and the way John Stewart set us up for Trump is the most infuriating example to me. The one I will never get out of my head or forgive was Stephen Colbert interviewing John Oliver when Trump was running for president. And Stephen Colbert asked John Oliver if he was at all concerned about the prospect of Trump winning. And John Oliver could not have laughed harder. (laughs) He acted like that was just hands down the funniest thing he'd ever heard. And that response just radiated out throughout Democrats. Mm. And no one took Trump seriously, Mm -hmm. and he got elected. And I feel like we froze in that moment. For one thing, Jon Stewart left. Trump (laughs) announced his presidency or his campaign, and Jon Stewart was like, yeah, this feels like the right time Mm -hmm. to get out of here. America's Mm -hmm. in a good place. We had a black president for eight years. Things are fixed. And so that happened. And then I feel like when Trump ran for office, we didn't know how to react beyond, this is funny. This Mm -hmm. is so funny that Republicans would run this guy. And it wasn't. And it never was. And it's just gotten scarier and scarier since. And we still will throw a protest or two. But beyond that, most of the media response to the things the right is doing is still just kind of comedy and jokes like i know we're telling jokes on this podcast but (laughs) i haven't heard a single joke so far (laughs) yeah that's true not on this episode (laughs) very serious (laughs) (laughs) but also i feel like john stewart kind of paved the way for joe rogan in Mm. that john stewart's whole shtick or his defense for what he was doing on the daily show was i'm a comedian Mm -hmm. i'm not a journalist. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be beholden to journalistic standards. And well, okay, now it's 2K22 and Joe Rogan's not a journalist either. Mm -hmm. And he's being consulted by NFL quarterbacks about how to fix their COVID. Like (laughs) The response to Fox News should have been us like overturning that telecommunications act that made it so TV didn't have to be as educational. Mm-hmm. anymore like yeah, br- the, bringing back the fairness doctrine yeah like yeah. the thing that led to inside edition and all these bullshit filler shows that eventually turn into fox news like we just need a media crackdown i think that's what i'm saying you just want a, state media just state uh, media. just uh, tighten yeah it but up. i feel like that's why the media would focus they would give trump free airtime because he would pull in views people wanted to see what crazy things he was doing and kind of the thing with john stewart saying well i'm not a thing so i don't have to play to the standard that's kind of what trump's appeal was to the common person was like oh well he ain't a politician so that's why i like him he doesn't have to play by the rules in fairness too like all of the media was doing the same thing as john stewart just not as effectively they're all saying Mm -hmm. look at this jackass and the things that he's saying and look at how many people he's upsetting by saying it Mm -hmm. and that was like just amplifying this asshole's message over and over rather than critiquing in any particular way or i mean look it was the republican national campaign they were always going to bring somebody on board that was not going to be amenable to the greater amount of the american people but Mm -hmm. it was more than that because it happened to me 
because I, if you recall, I said really early on on this podcast that Trump was going to win. And like I said that in 2015. Yeah, and I, I was said, on that episode and I said, dude, the RNC hates this guy. That yeah. will never happen. And yeah, no, the RNC did hate that guy until he started helping them win all but, these elections. But the reason I bring that up isn't to brag about it, but you should. I spent a year doing podcasts drilling down on that point mm-hmm. and getting called crazy for it, getting called a conspiracy theorist for it. The mainstream media did that to people, too. There's a really famous clip. I think it was Keith Ellison was on a talk show, one of the Morning Joe or some shit like yeah. that. And he was like, look, Trump could win. And the room just exploded in laughter instead of being like, interesting. Why do you say that person mm-hmm. who is actually in politics and has been for decades? Please explain to me, television host, why you think <laughs> Trump could uh-huh. win. That's the appropriate response. But instead, the response Keith Ellison got was everybody laughs. I think it was right. like George Stephanopoulos mm-hmm. or something like that. I, oh. These are people that are never going to be personally affected by policy decisions made by powerful people. So right. they see a ridiculous. Per- and again, like at that point, I was like, fuck Trump. He's an asshole. Who likes this guy? What God fearing Christian father is going to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to vote for the guy that I wouldn't let in a room alone with my daughter. Sure. Eventually that was. Yeah, there's lots of God fearing American fathers who are like, yes, this is our guy. He's going to preserve decency and the American Republic from whatever. So much cognitive dissonance there. So but yeah, you're right. What, what, what I'm hearing is that <laughs> you should be a journalist and not a podcast host. Who, me? You. Because oh, you, you got your finger on the post, you, you're on the pulse. So you can do it. Let's get it's you in the, the, in the, the, on the, the post. What is too. it? The Miami, on the post. the Miami Herald. Another thing about Jon Stewart, does everyone remember? We'll link to an Atlantic article that talks about there's actually two articles that I think are both really good. One of them is from The Federalist, which is the conservative east of conservative uh-huh. outlets. Like one of the other headlines on this site is like pillows are making kids gay or something. But they have a 2014 article called Why Jon Stewart is Bad for America. And they were clearly a different website in 2014 because <laughs> it's a very well thought out, and well written article. Uh-huh. And then there's also an article on The Atlantic, which is a far more liberal outlet that is from 2022 called The Problem with Jon Stewart. Because does anyone even remember he has a show? He has a show called The Problem with Jon Stewart, yeah. Problem with Jon Stewart. One of the recent episodes got 40,000 watches. Oh, Oh, boy. That's on Apple TV, though. So maybe that's the reason why no one's watching. Well, so is Ted Lasso, and Ted (laughs) Lasso kicks ass. Yeah, Ted Lasso won, like, all the Emmys, and it's on Apple TV. People People are watching Ted Lasso. Yeah, because you can bootleg it. I have a torrent sign on you. Apple TV is only $4.99 also, though. It's like the cheapest. Yeah, that's $4.99 that I don't have to pay. Right. Well, some because of us kind of... Because you don't want to see Jon Stewart that bad <laughs> in 2022. I, I also get the convenience of uh, extra storage on my computer. But the, it's great. No, you just stream it. You just stream it. You don't have to download anything. One of the other things this Atlantic article points out is, do we all remember how Jon Stewart became such a political comedy guy? Was this him appearing on Crossfire? Because that I remember more than anything else. It was him calling Tucker Carlson a dick on Uh Crossfire. (laughs) Which, hell yeah, 
in its hell own way, yeah, of course, at the time. But also, hell yeah, when Obama made jokes about Trump at the correspondence dinner, uh-huh. and mm-hmm. Trump was like, "Okay." No, it's, it's interesting you. that it's interesting you bring that up because we're sitting here talking about the fairness doctrine and how much we need to have that back in a very deep way. That is a problem for when we are all legislators, how to fix that. But that show Crossfire was ostensibly a left versus right thing. I mean, and obviously they never gave real weight to what the what the left was saying yeah. on that particular show. It was always a joke, but he was still on that show to say, like, I remember him saying, you're hurting America. And maybe that was yeah. a lot to do with just the sort of sensationalism that was happening. I didn't fucking watch Crossfire. Well, the, I don't know why he said that. I'm, I'm not know, saying like, yeah, him going on Crossfire was a bad thing for fuck's sake. And I don't mm-hmm. care that he called Tucker Carlson a dick, but the point that article makes is that it seems like it could be the same thing where Tucker Carlson saw Jon Stewart build this career off of calling him a dick on television. And now Tucker Carlson is like, I'll show you a fucking dick on television. And now Tucker Carlson is huge. Mm -hmm. Tucker Carlson is getting to be like untouchably huge. And that's not good. That doesn't mean Jon Stewart shouldn't have called him a dick. But you know, Butterfly effect. Can't unring that bell now. But Jon Stewart's fine. Like, the stuff he does for 9-11 families is great. And I don't mean to completely bash Jon Stewart. I just think we would have been better off without him. (laughs) Not that Jon Stewart shouldn't have called the Tucker Carlson a dick, which (laughs) yes, he could have. Honestly, I left because I was so offended you were making fun of my boy. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you insult him and his beautiful bow tie? And I love bow ties. I wear bow ties every chance I get. But that was one of the things that Jon Stewart made fun of him. Like, we can't all be in our 30s still wearing bow ties. And then you see Tucker Carlson with his bow tie on. Uh And it just sort of shriveled into nothing on camera. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Like, it's a little cold in here. All right. So I think that's enough about Jon Stewart, Stewart. right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, let's, let's call shit out as ridiculous. Let's call shit out as hypocritical. But let's also do the work to be active in our responses to these potential crises and not just sort of assume that laughing at it will be enough. Laughing at it has not been enough for a long time. Yeah. All right. Who wants to go next? Since we just talked about straight white male, let's take down another one while we're at it. Elise, do you want to talk about Seth Rogen? I do. While danger shakes uncontrollably in the corner with anger and rage. I I think it's, yeah. So I hate Seth Rogen. I don't think he's funny. I don't think he's attractive. I think all his <laughs> movies are trash. No, because my sister's like, I think he's so cute. I'm like, you're disgusting. This is why your marriage failed. Like, <laughs> like, no, I hate Seth Rogen so much. And I think it's funny because all his humor is stoner humor. And you're like, weed stupid. So I don't understand why you like Seth Rogen, but you don't like weed danger. That's um, a, that's we'll a foreshadowing alert for danger. Oh, sorry. opinion. <laughs> jumping the gun but i'm angry i'm very passionate about this danger why do you love seth rogan because i i will i will just say right out of the gate i am firmly in the middle on this seth rogan has done some things i enjoy he rapes women in his movies and he's like i'm seth rogan (laughs) it's a pretty pretty good impression of it I'm yes, uh, movie was that? My dreams. What movie uh, knocked, are you referring? Knocked up, and then also the one where he's a mall cop and Anna Ferris. He's like, she's drunk. Oh, like, oh I really shouldn't be sh- doing this. And she's like, 
keep going. And he's like, oh, see, it's not really rape. Yeah, that's observing a report. I don't care. Oh, okay. Yeah. As, oh, so as the the oh, resident yeah, Seth Rogen defender right. in this particular room, I don't like observing reports. I also, um, Pineapple Express, his high school girlfriend, that plot line, that was disgusting. It was just him be like, her, her, I'm Seth Rogen and I should <laughs> date, a, date a 16 year old girl because it's funny. <sighs> like, this no. Is, oh, this, your this, Seth Rogen is, this is spot on. Remarkably <laughs> canny. It's like he's actually here. I it really is. <laughs> is he in the crowd behind you? <laughs> yeah, he's somewhere, he's somewhere right here. Oh, God. Uh, okay. All right. So, yeah, God. as the defender, I am most a fan of, let's say, Superbad and The Interview. I think The Interview is a terrific movie. Yeah, if you don't like his humor, then you're not going to like his acting either, because his whole theory of acting is just to say how he his, feels. It's like, oh, I'm so scared. I'm act- so scared. I'm so scared. Like, yeah, I'm scared. I'm scared right now. I think <laughs> yeah. I should stick this up my ass. What do you guys think? I think I should stick this up my ass. Well, That's in that particular scene, he's trying not to shove the thing <laughs> up his ass. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I, no, all right. You know, Ex- apology like, accepted. Oh, wouldn't it be funny if I had to stick this up my ass, even though I didn't want to? Wouldn't it be funny <laughs> if I anally raped myself? Yeah. He just really likes rape. He thinks rape is funny and he likes underage women. Okay, you got the one project so far with the clearly consent issues. You've got another project you mentioned, Knocked Up, where there was a, an example of miscommunication, miscommunication, which is they didn't put on, which which she didn't put on the condom at the time. I don't know. It's been like a long time since yeah, I watched yeah, it. Yeah, that's the thing. She's like, where's the condom? And he's like, oh, I didn't wear one because you just said put it in. Oh, it's miscommunication. Huh, how convenient. Yeah, tell that to a fucking judge. Sure. Okay. Well, I mean, they, they could have gone to the judge with that particular conversation and then not. I don't know. But like, look, I like the interview. <laughs> I you like don't think the, the delay. a little racist. Okay. Go on, please. Why? What's uh... yeah, Adam? You haven't said anything. Pick uh-huh. aside, you fence sitter. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, Elise is making some very good points about <laughs> Seth Rogen films. That is for sure. I don't know the interview. It's the only time I've actually, it's the second time I've seen an Asian person play an Asian person and be like, this feels wrong. This doesn't feel like what should be happening in a movie. In this case, the comedian who played Kim Jong-un. Randall Uh, Park. Yeah. Love him. Randall Park's great. He's very funny, but that movie just felt kind of gross and irresponsible. It got I mean, well, there Sony were repercussions for a reason. Yeah, we had to shut down movie theaters over it, but but it's also I'm trying to think of fucking like, funny. The Seth Rogen movie racism's funny. Come on, Adam. <laughs> no, going after fascists is funny. <laughs> yeah, this going is, after it fascists came out, is great. And it came out it, right after Inglorious. Well, sorry, it came out. Like when I think about the interview, I also think about Inglorious Bastards. That sort of power fantasy of like I fucking hate this horrible human being, this fascist dictator. Like seeing Hitler machine gun into oblivion in Inglorious Bastards is awesome. Seeing Kim Jong Un blown up with a tank shell to Katy Perry 
is funny and cathartic and it is good and i like the idea that our problems can be solved with the with the machine gun or an explosion it doesn't happen in this world there are no easy solutions and i would never advocate for violence except against certain fascist dictators you know which there's an example of a couple of them going on right now in this day and age you know somebody makes it an anti-putin movie where putin gets blown up at the end that would be fucking interesting but I mean, that's also not the only project that Seth Rogen put out. What if they like, were this- dating a 14-year-old when they did it? Yeah. <laughs> Was this a thing? I don't know. Like, sorry. He I, did have, I he did have a high school girlfriend. The, in there's a scene Spurs. with all the prostitutes with, uh, he's like, oh, that's one thing I don't get. Or You got to say get. like Seth, dude. see. No, that was, uh, no, no, no. That was him talking to James Franco. Seth Rogen wasn't in that scene. And then you see them partying with all the, those are probably underage women, if you know North Korea. So yeah. Or James Franco. Or James Franco. Another thing, <laughs> Seth Rogen fucking okayed all of James Franco's creepy behavior. Yeah. Oh, oh, I don't know about okayed his behavior, but well, I'm he also, looked the like, other way. He was like, yo, you, he's my friend. If you've read he likes his to book. rape women too. <laughs> And if make clay pots. Seth Rogen's book, he was made famous for his relationship with James Franco. But in his book, mm-hmm. he doesn't even mention James Franco by name. He's one of a, a yeah, very small like, amount of people. Yeah, because he's like, I mentioned my buddy Franco. <laughs> so he's one of a small amount of people, I would say, to really substantially contribute. Like, I've known people who have been problematic. And you know, even though I still care about these people, I would care not to professionally and maybe even personally associate with them from here on out. That takes some degree of balls. And you've never been like, hey, buddy, maybe can you stop raping? Under <laughs> well, I don't know if he was aware of these things at the time. <laughs> he was aware of them. Are you he sure? I don't on, know. Things happened on set. When they were filming um, This Is The End, there was a big thing about how um, fucking Hermione Granger, Emma, yeah. Emma Watson, yeah. Emma Watson. She, she refused to do a, a scene. She's like, I don't think this is funny. I'm not going to go out and be, a, I forgot what scene. I think it was like, she was something with the gimp at the end with Channon or something. Oh, Channing like, Tatum. Hell yeah. yeah. She's like, no, I'm not doing that. And they would make inappropriate jokes around her and make her feel uncomfortable on set. And she's like, look, I just want to come in, do my scene and then leave. You want me to say these weird jokes? I don't want to partake in your sexism, misogyny, humor. Let me just be here. And, okay. You know, well, I mean, her part in the movie still hinges on the fact that she thinks that they're going to rape her and she beats the shit out of, out of one of them and says, you're not going to fucking rape me. Now yeah. Give me that water and I'm getting out of here. Like that is an empowered woman. So what, uh, I, I don't know what women. happened on set. I yeah. look, Hashtag I believe women, but also for the particular situation, just going off of what happens in the movie, she's like, I'm not going to let this bad thing happen. And then she beats the shit out of him and leaves. Yeah, and then think of what that scene could have been originally had she not stood up for herself and been like, you know what? Fuck it. Well, is it more or less to their credit than that they took that decision towards her own claim for human dignity? Or is it because she is a name actress where it's like the joke of this scene hinges on the fact that you are who you are. So Mm -hmm. we need this bitch to do her lines and say these jokes. And so it's like, yeah, we're not going to force you. I've heard so many um, blind items and stuff like that that I've seen of them basically kind of forcing unknown actresses that just want a part in a fun Seth Rogen movie or a James Franco movie. They're like, yeah, sure. okay, whatever you want. I don't feel comfortable, but I'll do this. I mean, that's how his whole fucking the lawsuit with his acting class thing that he was doing. Franco. Yeah, Franco that's Franco. specifically. 
yeah, but Mr. Seth Rogen, he's like, yeah, I know about this, but <laughs> I'm just going to sit here and make my clay pots for Twitter. Like, no. Which one of them's making the clay pots? I think it's Seth Rogen. Rogen made clay pots or something. Yeah, he, he makes, he's a, and they're he's trash a pots, but because he's Seth Rogen and has <laughs> undying fans, they're like, oh my gosh. I mean, undying fans? That sounds helpful. Undying uh, fans. You sound like you're going to go down with the ship danger <laughs> i'm just saying i like his movies they make me laugh and he seems like a decent guy <laughs> see yeah, that's the thing i it always blows my mind when people will watch movies or listen to an album and go oh but they seem like such a decent person yeah, it's i like, can how separate the, the art know? from the artist <laughs> it's like well, how do you know they seem like a decent person because they make art you like or they make a move they make you laugh but mm-hmm. it doesn't that the, no only, the only thing I have to go to off of is, being, is his like Twitter John... feed and the book I read because I think he's a funny comedian. I decided to read his book. And, uh, I... you know, I still came up with the impression of, you know, he seems like a decent guy. I'd love to have a conversation at some point. And, uh, you know, you know what? In that instance, maybe I'll put some of these more pointed questions, uh, at his, you know, sort of like, and sir, you know, what do you say to these particular accusations is that how you would talk to i don't know my good sir sure i don't know i don't smoke weed these accusations but i don't think he's even that funny i watched (laughs) i went to that table read that he did for the seinfeld episodes for netflix as a joke Mm -hmm. Uh, i went on a date if it was up to me i wouldn't have gone but i was really into this guy (laughs) what would it have sounded like if the person that asked you on that date was seth rogan asking you to go to this thing what would that sound like (laughs) Paint this paint a picture. Hey, Elise, <laughs> you want to come with me and my 14-year-old girlfriend? <laughs> it's it's so going to be really fun, and I'll give you a clay pot after. <laughs> anyway. <It's so> good. <laughs> that sounds great to me. Thank you. But so he obviously played Jerry Seinfeld, which, how dare he? And each episode that they did, they did three. It started with Jerry Seinfeld's, you know, stand-up thing. So it's Seth Rogen reading the scripts, doing Jerry's stand-up. And oh my God, it was so terrible. It bombed so hard. It's like, dude, you could have just watched the episode and just said it with the same cadence. But he's just like, you know what's crazy about the Hamptons? You can't bring your 14-year-old girlfriend with you. Uh, I fucking hate Pine- Pineapple Express was fun. And I don't understand why he even had that. Just so he could be like, I'm Seth Rogen. I can still pull 14-year-old pussy. Here's the thing. I don't like that weed strain or that movie. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> not even because of the girlfriend situation. I just found that movie super disappointing. I don't know. I feel like a lot of guys that I've met who really love Seth Rogen and worship that sense uh-huh. of humor, they tend to all be assholes and they're all dicks to women. <sighs> okay. Now that I can get down with in the sense that like, if that's the cornerstone of your personality, you probably suck. Mm-hmm. Like liking Pineapple Express is not a personality, but I could say that about a lot of things. Yeah. You know, if you like any one thing too much, then you're just not a rich, uh, uh, deep individual. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. 
What flavor are you holding? Now, open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Danger, is it possible that what you're saying now might lead to your unpopular opinion that you would want to share with us? I mean, if you're interested in turning this into a segue of sorts, I would be amenable to turning the previous topic into a new topic. You just got to let me know if that's something that you want to do. Well, I I will point out the segue yep. is brought to you by Segway. Segway, when you need a Segway, Segway. Danger, hey. let's talk about weed. Yeah, I don't like it. That's the end. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Is it because Seth Rogen hates it? <laughs> no, it's just like there's this whole culture around weed. Yeah, and like, like Seth oh. Rogen. <laughs> I like him. But no, it's just like there's the whole culture around weed. It's such like an inconsistent thing. Confession time. I've had about as many bad experiences with marijuana as I have had good or okay experiences. It just, there's a learning curve to this thing that was never explained to me. And it's just not a go-to thing for me. And again, if it if your personality is I like weed, then you're probably not fun you know you're just someone that doesn't mind being bored but that's a whole separate thing i just like look it's an important thing it's very helpful for people who need relief from their problems and it should not be a schedule one narcotic that's absurd the fact that we have people who are imprisoned for this thing that's now you know like uh, take some cbd or some some mild weed and then go to do like your yoga and it's a cbd yoga class it's like super insulting that that even exists you know uh, we need to expunge all the records of anybody that's ever been imprisoned by an experience with weed but it's not for everybody and it's not for me is really what it boils down to it yeah, stinks I'm, i hate how it smells yeah those are all arguments like i i obviously smoke weed um, oh okay Let's talk about your fucking points since you're being salty now. There's a learning curve to it. Not with drinking, though. There's no because go ask Jeff May if there's a learning curve to drink. He's gotten drunk one time. He's gotten drunk one time (laughs) and he had eight rum and cokes danger. He vomited violently. That is the definition of a learning curve. Okay, how many bad experiences have you had on alcohol? Mm, And the reason I ask is because speaking of people making it their personality, what did you do when you came on the podcast? You made sure to show us you're drinking your fancy whiskey. You said, let me refill my fancy whiskey. You made sure we heard the cork. And here's the thing. No one gives a shit about that either, dude. Yeah. It's the only time <laughs> I drink anymore is when I'm on a podcast or. Okay, I'm but it's the, still not uh, a know. replacement for a personality. You act I, like absolutely. there's no culture where drinking serves as a person's personality. I would say that is significantly more prevalent than people acting like weed is their personality. You still can't really buy weed shirts at Walmart, but you can mm. buy a fucking grip of Budweiser shirts and Coors Light shirts and my other truck is a Budweiser shirts or whatever the fuck. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like drinking is way more a thing people attribute to having a personality when they're really just alcoholics. I very much agree. Alcohol does real harm to our society. More harm. Uh, I'm sorry? More harm, significantly more harm. Significantly more harm than weed has or will ever perpetrate on our society. But at least it smells great. I like how certain whiskeys smell. Yeah, there's 
shit booze in the world. I'm not here to defend booze as a panacea to our ills. I enjoy. Oh, it. I was here to defend that though. Okay. No. Yeah, obviously it fixes all your problems. Booze. Yeah, right. I mean. uh, is that Simpsons line? The cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Thanks. Is that Thanks, from booze. The Simpsons? It's from The Simpsons. Yeah. No, I know they say it on The Simpsons. But they say it. All right, fine. It's it's a line <laughs> that is said on The Simpsons. Okay, go on. But look, I don't like anybody who's personality is i'm gonna get shit faced all day every day i used to work at an ice cream store in 2002 and every weekend the short brunette girl and whatever the hell are i'm sure all their names were like amanda or something but there was a bunch of them and they always come back and be like oh my god we got so shit faced and we did this we got hammered and we did this or something like okay well you're just not an interesting person and i'm not going to say that booze addicts uh, if there's a word for it, I mean, I don't even know if there's a word for that, but like people who depend on substances to function in the world, not super on board with, if that's your personality. Okay. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Let me backtrack. If you need a substance to function in this world, depending on the substance, you know, like antidepressants are a thing. People need antidepressants to function. Godspeed. Some people do, you know what? In the Seth Rogen book, he compares weed to being emotional shoes. Like we don't criticize people for putting That's on the shoes. That's the stupidest metaphor I've ever Okay, heard. we'll read the rest of his book. Maybe he says it better. No. <laughs> but like it helps him get along with his date and that's fine. But yeah, like his I, date because she's a high schooler. <laughs> so he's his like, date. yeah, now I understand your humor. <laughs> that was the date, which is weird. <laughs> that was the date. <laughs> Seth Rogen's dating his 14-year-old high female. Okay. And that was a plot point in a movie from I don't know when. And I whatever. Point is, it didn't need to be there anyway. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'm sure in retrospect he'd say maybe we shouldn't have done. Look, the always sunny people are like, we really should should have made a whole episode about a slur for people who have differences in mental ability. People can evolve is what I'm saying. Again, that's sort of going, think- like, going back to cringe. Maybe Seth looks at that and says, you know what? That was a little cringy, wasn't it? No, it seems- I know, he hasn't no. changed. It, no, he hasn't changed. Sure. Okay, whatever. So anyways, I just, uh, there's too many ways that you can have a bad experience with weed. Yeah. Like CBD drops were really helpful for me for a while because I had sciatica, like a nerve pain disorder. And I was using CBD drops to sort of ease that, but I didn't look at the bottle all that closely. And there's a thing that says, shake well before use. And if you don't shake well before use, then all of the goddamn THC settles to the bottom so that when you take that last drop, it's a terrifying odyssey through your own mind. And I hated it. And I was not prepared for something like that. But everyone's like, oh, weed's, you, it's the gentlest drug there is. You know, it's well, just, it it's sounds just like you weren't prepared because you didn't use it responsibly. Yeah. Sure. You that's another re- thing. You're using it for pain management. Did you ask a doctor if you should use it? <laughs> That's a really Elise, good what are your yeah. thoughts on weed? I feel like we yeah, haven't right. heard from you at all this segment. Jesus. Well, to be honest, I don't like weed either. And yeah. um, Yes! But honestly, it's fine if anybody else smokes weed. The thing that totally. I don't... The thing I don't like about it, though, is when I'm at a party and people are smoking weed, I'll be like, oh, you want to smoke weed? I'll be like, no, I'm good. And then I get this, well, maybe you just haven't found your right strain then. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Or just take it. No, this is different. It's different. It's like, uh, no, trust me. I know what weed does to me. I don't like it. They're like, come on, just do it. I, I think it's different now. It's a different blend. And then I'll take a hit <laughs> and then just sit in the corner and stare at the wall the whole party. And then they're like, man, I don't think she's having a fun time. It's like, no, because I told you that weed makes me more anxious and it affects me this way. Mm, but and you're I susceptible hit- to peer pressure. Interesting. Yeah. Well, only if I'm trying to date the guy, you know, 
but he's gonna take me to a Seth Rogen movie <laughs> <laughs> with his previously mentioned 14 year old girlfriend yes yeah okay but um I don't know it's just like sometimes I feel like people are making weed like this fun party and every single time I try to go to the, and have fun at the party, it's like, you know, and then they're like, oh, well, something's wrong with you then if this isn't working out because we would never do this to anybody. And I think it's like overrated whenever I'm like, oh, I'm kind of anxious and people are like, oh, well, here, just hit this pen and oh, try. Have you tried CBD? It's like, no, I don't like weed. Just stop pushing it on me. I don't want to smoke it. I want to eat your gummies or anything. Yeah. I mean, that's bullshit. Yeah. Obviously, don't push. But I feel that way. Like, I feel like you do see that with alcohol, too. Like, mm-hmm. I've been totally, the sober, yeah. I've been the sober person on a party bus once. <laughs> and let me tell you about peer pressure. Mm-hmm. You be the only sober person when everyone else is hammered on a fucking bus with neon lights inside it. You're going to get some peer pressure to drink in that situation, too. But I also feel that way about onions. Like people will be like, but have you ever had onions in this one? And it's like, no, I universally reject onions. (laughs) Like there's no circumstance. Like there's some foods people will be like, oh, but you got to cook it the way I No, I don't. No, I don't. So I agree with you there. That's bullshit. Mm -hmm. I actually smoke a lot less weed than I used to because I don't know if I'm just getting old or if I'm paying more attention to how things make me feel, but I just can't smoke the way I used to. Like it, We're all getting old, man. Like it makes me kind of panicky sometimes. Like I've had to really switch up the kind of weed I smoke and the way I smoke weed. See, um, even the professional weed connoisseur, someone who knows their way around that maze is still having problems. Sometimes people throw up when they drink. Mm-hmm. I don't get why, like, I feel like you're substituting a personality. I feel like hating weed is your personality. Is it? In I, this, was asked, like, I was asked in, for, a, for an unpopular opinion and I'm providing yeah. it. I don't yeah. talk about it at parties because yeah. I don't go to parties. You, don't, you never? I mean, I love. That would have been a good I love one to bring. parties. You know, okay. Well, next time let's Fuck talk about parties. parties. Yeah. No parties. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I would actually, I would actually agree with you probably though. But yeah. no, I just don't have time for most, for most parties. Yeah. But I also hate that with weed people, it's always like their biggest defense is that it's not alcohol. That's their one thing. It's all like, oh, weed's great because it's not alcohol and everything. All their points are like, well, alcohol gives you a hangover. Alcohol makes you want to fight people. And weed just makes you want to watch a Seth Rogen movie. Which I feel like is Which worse is later okay. on. Well, <laughs> I mean, uh, it is absolutely insane that between the two of them, alcohol is the one that's legal. Agreed. Well, yeah, agreed. So, I think that's probably why people who smoke weed tend to go that route because alcohol is so common and no one bats an eyelash. Well, yeah, because when they took away the, the farmer's whiskey, yeah, they had a riot and you take away pot smokers weed and they're like, well, I guess I'll just watch another movie then. I'll write no, a letter. There, were, there, there were like violent gang wars over it. And over people weed? Still in, there are still people in prison over fucking weed. That's one of the big problems with weed being illegal. Yeah, but like, not like starting riots with like, hey, no, give us back our alcohol. You here's know, the thing. Alcohol prohibition it. wasn't the worst thing for the country. Go Fucking on. look no. into it. Organized crime. Yeah, that that went away once <laughs> once prohibition went away. I'm glad we nipped that problem in the bud. There was always going to be organized crime, but mm. 
No? I mean, I think organized crime existed before prohibition. I don't know. I think it helped. Prohibition was the John Stewart for organized crime. (laughs) Kinda, yeah. Yeah. All right. What should we talk about next? Do we have anything? I mean, we all have more. We all have more. There's IPA, which kind of leads into, but I also hate IPAs. I think those are disgusting and I don't believe anybody likes them. I don't know what those are offhand. It's a shitty tasting beer that hipsters drink. Okay. I like reds and I like some nitro stouts, you know, darker the better. eh, You're not going to find any defenders. We're probably talking about the same thing kind of but i don't know an ipa i brought this up on the last unpopular opinions episode but just very briefly and alex schmidt had the absolute gall to contradict me and say he did like ipas but Uh, we didn't jeopardy champion alex schmidt yeah we didn't get into it much but here's my theory on ipas because they taste like ass feet (laughs) (laughs) like they taste like feet dipped in dirty ass yeah I think what people like about them is you can get six or seven beers drunk by drinking like two or three IPAs. So it looks more responsible when you're driving home blowing a 0.13 because you only drank one or two beers. Like you can tell that to the cop. Mm-hmm. You can be like, oh, I drink two beers, officer. And he's going to be like, you smell like a fucking wheat field. and know <laughs> what kind of beer you were drinking. You are under arrest and it's a felony somehow. I guess you just, at least you've had them. You don't like the uh, way yeah, they taste. I, I don't understand the appeal either. Cause like I like Pilsners and Pilsners kind of have like a little bite to them, but yeah. it's refreshing when you drink it. Whereas, you know, like you said, with the hops, they put so much hops in the IPA, just a mouthful of ass. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> like, feet. Yeah. I don't hate a dark beer. Like I like a Guinness. I like a Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Like I can, I can certainly drink a dark beer. That's not the problem. Yeah. And then I don't understand the culture that latched itself onto this type of beer, too, because I feel like on dating profiles, you see guys like I'm a big IPA lover, (laughs) drinker. And it's like, like oh, that's a red flag. Is that like the, the next generation of people who are super into White Claw for an afternoon? I think so. Yeah, it could be. But IPA I like it was is around gonna... before. Yeah, yeah, it was around before. And White Claw is just like a mass produced corporate thing whereas ipas i knew a guy in upstate new york who made his own ipas in his basement and he also punched a teen in a bar fight (laughs) once we would go to his place and he'd be like oh i just made this and it all tasted like garbage Mm -hmm. but it was like his whole thing was yeah i make ipas and you're not gonna see that with white claw i just (laughs) I, I understand cigars more. Like I, I actually like cigars and I know people hate cigars, mm-hmm. but I get that, I guess. But I still, I'm not smoking cigars the way people are drinking IPAs. Yeah. Cause like with cigars too, you have like more of a refined culture around it where it's like, yeah. you got a cigar lounge. I think of like going to Miami and stuff and having a fun experience there, like with friends. And then an IPA, it's, you're just at a bar drinking an IPA while your buddies are drinking like better wheat beers and stuff. Yeah. Drinking beers they actually enjoy. Yeah. You found something on the bottom third of the menu and you're like, eh, there you go. I, I'm not getting Bud Light. That makes me special. And I don't like that IPAs have the nerve to call themselves like 
hazy, juicy orange. And then it's like, nope, this also just tastes like a bucket of hops. Like yeah, where there's is, no fruit or where citrus. Where is the, the juicy, citrusy flavor? Well, maybe you like the sophisticated palate to pull out all the, the beautiful notes that the the prism that is the India Pale Ale truly presents on this uh, beautiful mosaic. I probably have to sniff it first. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Do a little mouthfeel like that. That's the sort yeah, of yeah. I could demonstrate it for you if you'd like with the whiskey that you've you so derided here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing. It's drinking whiskey straight is pretty gross too. disagree. I did go through a period where I was drinking like straight alcohol, but it's because I was taking a drug that was meant to help you quit drinking and the way it did it. Work? Did it <laughs> well, <laughs> This part worked. It made any carbonated beverage just taste like actual dirt on your tongue. And so I just circumvented that by just drinking straight alcohol. So no, in equal amounts, right? It did not work. Eight ounce beer, eight ounces of hard whiskey. Well, no, of course not. Well, I don't know. I don't know what your methods are. I mean, eight ounces of beer. What's that going to do? What am I, a child? I don't know. Are you a child? Were you a child at this point? Do they make eight ounce cans of beer? I don't drink a lot of beer. I know in Russia they sell uh, beer by like the water and juices because they don't, it has such low alcohol, they don't consider it alcoholic. Damn. (laughs) So maybe they've got little eight ounce babies. There's like little aquapods, but it's just a beer. (laughs) (laughs) One of the first cracked articles I wrote was about crazy ways people get drunk in other countries. And at the time, Russia had a real problem with companies packaging aftershave to look like alcohol because then drinking it made it look more socially acceptable. And (sighs) people were drinking it because it was super duper cheap compared to the vodka that they were hopelessly addicted to. So they would drink aftershave and it was like making people blind and shit. Oh my God. And that's what I think of when I taste an IPA. I'm like, I would (laughs) rather be drinking Russian aftershave right now. All right, who wants to go next? Elise, what's your next opinion? Okay, so I think that community college and trade schools, I think those should be free, but I don't think higher education should be. Interesting. Why is that? Because I think, and it's maybe this is the main issue, I think America has put way too much emphasis on getting a college degree. And as that result, they kind of created this weird bear trap where, you know, my parents, they all went to college. So they really pushed like, you're going to college, you're going to college, Mm -hmm. you're going to get your degree, you're going to do all of that. And so even now with employers, they all expect everybody to have a college degree since it's been so saturated with people just getting their college degree and stuff. But there's no plumbers like where the trades, they're really lacking with people to go into that. Yeah, if you want to get your philosophy degree, sure, go for it. the first thing everybody always derides is (laughs) an education. Not everybody needs a philosophy degree here. Although it would be nice to have more philosophers in this world, in this cynical world. (laughs) I mean, look, I got my theater degree at USC, so I understand what it means to waste money. (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, I feel like I really didn't need it. I only went to school there because my parents were pushing me to go to get a college degree. So I applied for schools and USC was the only school I got accepted at. So I was like, well, guess I'm going here. Yeah, I feel that is not how applying to usc normally goes yeah, i wasn't right. accepted <laughs> only one you get you accepted to G. i only applied to two colleges usc oh. and devry weird yeah. 
No, it was Cal Arts and USC. I was in Florida mm-hmm. at the time. But honestly, I was just so lazy. I didn't want to fill out the college applications because that already, it's like a nightmare. I had to write so many essays about like, name a thing in your childhood that defined you. Like, I don't... <laughs> Well, you you named it well enough to get into goddamn USC. So well done. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, what what I'm hearing is I was put up to this thing that I didn't want to really do. And I wish I didn't have to do it due to all these external pressures. Mm-hmm. And now anybody that wants any sort of higher education should have to go through as much debt as i am moving forward because well no are you saying no hydrogen shouldn't be free or shouldn't be cheaper i don't think it should be free i definitely think it should be cheaper because america is a capitalist society where (laughs) yeah we're forcing people we're going to push this thing about having a degree you need to have a degree this is how you're going to improve your life is if you get a degree so because we all know that you need this thing let's jack up the prices let's make it hard because I'm still paying off student loans and yeah. I really wish I, I want them to forgive student loans, even though like, you graduate? I, paid, I graduated in uh, 2012, uh, okay. 10 years ago. In 07, I did my thesis at Chapman University on student loan debt. And what a terrible thing that is, because it makes people change the things that they want to do while they're in college. It makes people hem in their idealism or their dreams. Like people who want to be social workers, like, well, I can't go into fucking social work because there's no money in it. Uh, and I'm going to have this degree that costs me, you know, $30,000 to get to get a job that's important for the fabric of our society. But I'm going to get, I don't know what, like $40,000 a year and just be in debt for the rest of my life. Yeah, but plumbing is also intricate to our society. Sure. And you can make six figures in your first year being a plumber. And it's not talked about enough. It's looked down on. It's the, That's why Mike Rowe did the whole dirty jobs thing and the somebody's got to do it. No one wants to shovel shit for a living, but you got to have someone doing that. You got to yeah. have garbage men. You got to have electricians. You need to have people that know how to do construction. Those are essential things too. But yeah. America has just put so much of a thing of like, oh, no, that's a blue collar job. Oh, you don't want to be in a union. You want to go well, out and do this. Well, uh, thankfully, that particular mentality is changing. Like union is membership changing. is on the rise. I'm a union member. SEIU, baby. I'm SEIU a union 1000. Member. Yeah, love it. Those things are changing. And yeah, we need skills we need trades we need people who do those jobs to have the work be dignified um, Mm -hmm. and have a good return i'm super on board with that i mean just all education is a net benefit for society at large we want smart people who have options what do you do what are you dancing about yeah i mean you're right education is not a bad thing i think i agree with elise in that like i don't know if this is exactly what she's saying but i could see a thing where if you want to go to school to be something like a plumber or just anything that could help our crumbling infrastructure, which we mm-hmm. desperately need. Yeah. But again, she's right. Those are jobs that people aren't really seeking out. I could see a thing where if you want to go to school for that, yeah, that's free. But if you want to go major in philosophy, yeah, we can make it cheaper, but mm-hmm. you're going to have to pay for that. Okay. We're not, well, what we're about- not making philosophers on the tax paid about- dime. Uh, for one what about thing- urban planning? I mean, th- that's that's a whole... What do you mean, what about urban planning? Of course, urban planning. Yeah. Yeah. How how are you comparing urban? I think you just wanted to say you're an urban planner. No, I just happen to be wearing this shirt. But the first thing that gets trotted out against these is like, I don't want to pay or I don't want 
taxes to pay for some philosophy degree. It's like, all I, right, I don't well, want to pay for a fantasy literature major either for yeah, fucking here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think some people need to accept that there's some things college can't teach you. I don't. Okay. I, I think there's some shit like I, I, mean, I, I dropped out of the creative degree. writing program. So I, I well, get part of yeah. that. Elise just said she went to USC, but also said she didn't really need to go to college. No, like, I didn't. It was. Yeah. I'm among the 3% of podcasts that make money. I didn't have to go to podcast college to do it, but I'm sure there will be a podcast college <laughs> mm-hmm. someday. There's probably a course you can take at a reputable college right now that will teach you how to be a podcaster, which is some of the biggest bullshit I have ever heard in my life. This is right, the this, lowest. This, this thing you're imagining happening is is crazy and total bullshit. I guarantee you that exists. Mm-hmm. Put it in the I, notes, I, baby. Find them, find it, put it in the notes. There's editing courses you can take at USC, but But honestly, being a content creator, being an Adam Ty Brown, being an unpops, are they teaching classes? Do you, who's teaching classes on how to be Adam Ty Brown? You can't. Didn't you just hear <laughs> I me agree. say I don't that think you, there are exist. some things a college degree can't teach you? I don't see that as enough of an argument for, and and we're not talking about make to you, like we all agree that the cost of education is prohibitive for a lot of people. And it is. A, the more money we put into education, the more we get people who are not born into opportunity to have better opportunities. And the less money we put in means that we're going to get people making decisions and people getting like higher education stuff uh, who are just replicating their class structure that they're born into. Like education is a class ladder. So we're not talking about, you know, make all higher education, you know, $50,000 per year. But I'm just saying that like there's so much uh, Berkeley Workshops podcast. Yeah, how bootcamp. much should the podcast boot camp at UC Berkeley cost? <laughs> how much of my taxpayer dollars yeah. should fund some rich fucks kid going to learn how to do podcasts at mm-hmm. Berkeley? Well, like, how many are, rich are fucks kids are there to... compared to people from inner cities who have stories Just, to tell? They don't yeah. have to go to Berkeley. Why not? That could be a fucking community thing. Yeah, if they get into, if they get into Berkeley and they have a talent and they want to produce podcasts and like really good podcasts and stuff. Maybe so, they'll find fucking uh, the Adam Brown scholarship for podcasting. Mm, so you think it makes more sense that they should have this barrier of entry to get into podcasting than to just admit that that's a thing you could learn at a fucking community center. I could go teach people how to do podcasts. You I don't just have watch to be a like YouTube cool. tutorial. Professor. But I don't yeah. think it's the thing where it should be, well, because you shouldn't need to get a degree to do this thing that we have to make sure that college stays prohibitively expensive, which again, I know is not what we're talking about. That is not what either of us have said. Right. I'm I'm just just trying to make sure that like some stuff that I agree, not everything has to be free. Okay. Yeah. But But most things should be cheaper. They should be cheaper. That's why I said community college too. Yeah. Hell yeah. And I I don't want to be in and I'm going to be in debt for years and years because this graduate degree that I just got that I needed to have the understanding to responsibly contribute to the urban development of our fair state. Yeah, guys, I work for the state. It's pretty awesome. Again, like I said before, I think urban development is one of those things, obviously, like I said, things that contribute to our crumbling infrastructure. But what about the crumbling infrastructure of our hearts and minds? It is that was gone. Gone. Yeah. It, that ship has fucking sailed. 
there is also not a college course that's going to bridge the divide mm-hmm. in this country. There's just some things that ain't going to happen. Okay. I think that there's got to be some people out there who are, look, my favorite book, Jonathan Strange, Mr. Noll, you know, somebody came along at some point, she took a book writing seminar and Neil Gaiman, who's teaching the class, is like, this is incredible. This is a masterpiece. I'm so excited. We're going to get you out into the world. You need a little bit of help, a little bit of professional development, a little bit of, uh, you know, prose. You know, everybody needs a little help to be their fullest self, I think. Well, sorry, not everybody, because some people are born fully formed like Adam Todd Brown, and we should all just fucking take a number. <laughs> yeah, However, but I'm just, I'm that- not saying get rid of the scholarships, get rid of the grants, get rid of everything i'm just saying like it shouldn't just be 100 percent free anybody can go get their masters in underwater basket weaving like no i'm not saying that all right what do we have left just danger wanting us to pay more for parking (laughs) yeah parking should be more expensive basically everywhere yes wow because we marginalized people don't park (laughs) they're not good (laughs) enough to park no because we hide the cost of parking and the cost of everything else Groceries are more expensive, rent is higher, all of that because we have planned our cities for parking first and the availability everywhere of free parking everywhere first. And then for actually like, well, what does this area need second? Next time you go to a Best Buy or a grocery store, I would say the only exception is like fucking Costco. Like Costco needs all that parking because there's a lot of people there all the time. Those lots are almost always full. And maybe Costco needs its own government. (laughs) Place is insane. (laughs) It's anarchy the ambassador, inside. The ambassador oh. to Costco. <laughs> but everything else is more expensive because city planners decided a while ago, like, okay, well, you need to plan your parking spaces for the absolute maximum demand. Any commercial development is like, okay, plan your parking spaces based on your Christmas rush, like your Black Friday sale demand. So that the rest of the year, that space is just open and empty and just eating into our urban landscape. It's awful. But all of that has to be completely free to the user. And we just expect there to be parking everywhere. So because we expect parking to be everywhere, we don't have a really robust public transportation system. And we didn't design our cities to be walkable or busable or bikeable in in these ways that would be a lot more appropriate to how people get by or would get by if they had better options. Like right now, I know there's a lot of legislation and a lot of urban design talking about rolling back what used to be parking minimums and turning those into parking maximums and saying like, all right, you used to have to build, if you're going to build an apartment building, you have to have 1.75 parking spaces per unit. But what that just ends up being is just empty space. And it's empty space that it costs, what is it, like 20 or $30,000, depending on the area. It's like five figures to build a space of parking somewhere. And it's more than I've just thrown out there. It's like mid five figures, high five figures to make one space of goddamn parking, which oftentimes is just completely unused. So if we started charging appropriately for how much the use of the parking costs, it would disincentivize the use of cars. It would make other forms of transportation not only more attractive, but it would help pay for the infrastructure necessary to make those things work. Where I am right now, like my wife and I don't use two cars all the time, but we have them, but we don't pay for their storage because they built this place assuming that people were going to have cars because urban planners just decided in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, well, we just have to make sure it's all free all the time. And cars are expensive and maintaining them is expensive. And gasoline, Jesus Christ, is $6 a gallon right now. Okay, I have a question. Please. As 
you're first of all, uh, how do you know anything about urban planning? What are you some yeah. kind of urban planner? How does this happen without a neighborhood turning into Koreatown? There's no, I mean, since we're coming from a place. Which, before you go yeah, yeah, on, yeah. just people listening who are unfamiliar with that oh. reference, K-Town is a part of L.A. where parking is notoriously mm-hmm. hard to find. There are episodes of television about how hard it is to park in this part of L.A. I'll link to a video. I'm sure everyone on this pod has seen it, but it is just two people having what ends up being, I shit you not, something like a 90 minute standoff over (laughs) Over a parking parking space. Yeah. Yeah. Where one person's trying to back in and the other person is behind them trying to pull in front ways. And they just sit there for like an hour because it's impossible to park in K town. How does what you're saying happen without that preventing that like well uh, that thing already happens koreatown is a failure of urban design in that it is not parking friendly in the most aggressively pro car city you know other than like houston in america so we're looking at it from like how do we take the current system as it exists and just take away all the existing resources so that people just can't park anywhere can't use this system I don't know how good bus service is in that area or like, I know that anytime I needed to go to K-Town and I had the wherewithal, I would ride my bike. And part of that is like, that's what we might call the induced demand. Like a lot of people think, well, if we want our freeways to work better, we just have to make them bigger so that there's more lanes and people can use that space. But if you widen the space, then more people will use the freeway and it will slow right back down within a matter of months. So it's a matter of, you have to create a lot of alternatives all at once. I was actually just talking to someone earlier today. Like you can't just say, okay, now we're just going to get rid of all the parking because I'm proposing like, no, just charge appropriately for the parking. Seize Um, all parking. Sure. Yes. I also like that. But parking space is a resource. And right now we don't attach a cost to it. And it's a failure of imagination because if we charge appropriately for it, we can take the money that gets charged and dump it into alternatives, create bike infrastructure and get more buses on the road. I don't know. At some point, we're going to have like little personal helicopters or some shit. That'd be cool. cars. Flying cars. Boom. I just said personal helicopters. We're talking the same language, bro. Elise, how do you you feel about Danger's more expensive parking proposition? (sighs) I don't like it. What if your know. rent was $300 less, it was $150 less a month if you didn't want to use the parking space that you have? But then because where would the- I park my car? I have to get like, it's so packed with people. Like it's hard to find parking in my area and I could park up the street in the neighborhood, but I have to get a permit and pay $60 a year for the permit to park it on the street. All right, so you are paying appropriately for the use of this space. <laughs> Not <laughs> everywhere does that, though. is my point. You're um, off the hook. Well, I do have a parking spot, but its I don't think it was meant to be a parking spot. There's um, a lot of that out there, yeah. Yeah, so like it's right in the front. It's like parallel parking, so I have to parallel park my car to the point where like sometimes my friends that come over, they don't even want to park in my space. So. When, because your friends have no other way to get to your house other than their own personal cars, because everywhere else in Los Angeles is built around the idea that someone will own a personal car and operate it to anywhere Yeah, need but to go. I don't think that's a parking. I think that's just poor planning on what we did. And I also think it's because the oil companies, they really shut down. Like there was, fuck, 
I need to pull up the article, but it was years ago when they were deciding on whether to do like invest in electrical things or mm. public transportation. They completely shot it down. It's like, no, we need to invest in roads and parking uh-huh. and all this other stuff. Right. Yeah. And that's sort of like angle of like, well, just make more roads and make them wider. That's the go to move for the status quo, because everybody hates how slow traffic is. Everybody thinks that making more traffic lanes will ease the congestion. And Mm -hmm. it never works because you don't have people explaining that. No, it actually has to be a little harder to get around in a car before we can create an alternative system that works for more people. And I I think, though, like, why do normal people have to pay for this for their parking thing it's already coming out of our taxes how come they're not using our taxes to go towards public transportation i'm not they're... even talking about taxes i'm talking about Paying like for how much you pay for degrees <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm talking about like other shit like rents like if we could build the musical <laughs> yeah i'm sure he had a degree god what was his name that wrote it just a really good andrew garfield movie about the guy that made it watch it tick tick uh, boom Son- it's on netflix Son- it's terrific no no well no. sondheim does make an appearance you know he's, okay. he's great but uh yeah jonathan oh god i'm gonna oh, that's right. lose my musical theater card but jonathan is the guy that wrote rent. that guy yeah um, when i lived in san francisco which was very brief about three months it sounds like it's the liberal dystopia dangers talking about because I paid $150 to park and to get to my parking spot, I had to walk eight blocks, <laughs> get on a train, oh, get off and walk another eight blocks to get my car. And I paid $150 a mm-hmm. month for that privilege uh-huh. because in san francisco you can't develop height higher than three stories the residential need for space in that area is being constrained by well we have this very uh we have this beautiful neighborhood character of, of san francisco it's famous we can only go three stories in height like that's mm-hmm. like it, it is very much if you poke one thing over here something else is going to pop out over here that's oh. the thing of urban design but with the rent prices, though, I've seen places that are really expensive. And then on top of that, you have to pay. They charge you $50 if you want to park your car there in their right. parking garage. And those particular units get built with parking incentives so that they don't have to provide parking for everybody. Because that actually makes it so that 15% of the units in those buildings can be set aside for affordable housing. So like people can pay in like, you know, the Altana in Glendale or whatever the hell you want. Like one of those awful places that hopefully future failed mayoral candidate Rick Caruso. Fuck you, Rick Caruso. Sit this one out. All of those like faux Mediterranean nonsense buildings he keeps building. Well, there is 15% of an inclusionary zoning housing. They set aside 15% of those units to get a couple of bonuses and a reduction in parking so that they can offer more affordable housing to people who may or may not own a car. And yeah, there's plenty of people who will rent those spaces and be like, well, fuck it. I can afford another 50 bucks a month. You know, in my last apartment, I paid an extra 50 bucks a month for a second parking space. But I mean, the second wow. parking space. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You traitor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a kid. Or wait, no. You're I've mentioned this before. I have a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got him. What? Around. Yeah. Got another Since one on the way, when? guys. July Since 24th. Wait, is so the then I don't understand exciting. the idea of my rent would be cheaper if I didn't have to have a parking space. Yeah, if they could build more housing where the cost of the parking is decoupled from the cost of building the unit, they don't have to spend the extra, let's say, 20% in building costs to create parking space, which may or may not end up being used. 
if it's cheaper for people to build it, then more things are going to get built. And if it's cheaper for them to build it, they can offer it at a, at a lower rent. So there's a knock-on effect there. If you have the option to live in a place where the parking costs more, then it's likely, look, we don't have enough housing. So this isn't a terrific example, but in a just beautiful society where there is enough housing, you would be able to pay less for a place that doesn't have a parking space in it, all things being equal. And that's where development is going right now, because there's just so much extra parking space all over the place that a lot of parking lots are being like, this is the only place we could build. So we're going to eat this parking space, turn it into, you know, a four or five story building of just people living, you know, for homes and whatnot. You better not eat my parking space. (laughs) You don't have a car. I don't. Well, I did, but I literally just sold it yesterday because boy is the time right to sell a used car. (laughs) But why can't they build on top of that parking lot, but then also have a parking garage underneath it? Digging down is really expensive. Doing subterranean parking, which is in a lot of places very appropriate. My last apartment building had subterranean parking. You might notice a lot of parking lots only go halfway down in apartment buildings because that's cheaper than going a full story down all the way. But yeah, like digging stuff out, getting rid of all that dirt, doing all the plans and like that is really expensive. And yeah, Mm -hmm. it's a more efficient use of this space, but it's, it's a lot harder to do. If we're talking about like a good investment, it depends on if people are going to absolutely use that parking as it is all the time, then yeah. But I mean, there's definitely some unused spaces in my last apartment building. How much can I park my car there for? Is it less than $150? (laughs) If so, I'll take it. You want to leave your car in Glendale and take the train to San Pedro? No, I do not. Okay. So this has been a very interesting episode. We covered a lot of ground. We sure did. We got a lot done in not a short amount of time. Thank you both for doing the episode once again. Yeah, thank Um, you for having me. Do we have anything to plug before we get out of here? Elise, just one more time. Tell people where they can find you. Let's make danger wait. (laughs) Yeah, you can find me at Twitter and Instagram at the Big Golgowski. Also, for uh, legal purposes, I want to go ahead and say that I am not accusing uh, (laughs) Seth Rogen of having sex with 14-year-olds or raping them. I'm just saying uh, it appears in his movies a lot. That's all. (laughs) That's for legal purposes. (laughs) Danger, accuse Seth Rogen of all those things. For, for, for legal purposes, I would like to offer hanging out with Seth Rogen. I would love, let's get a sandwich, you know, wow. and just sort of shoot the shit. Sounds good. For legal purposes only. Is that all you have to plug? Me? Seems, oh, okay. That's so, yeah, very right. uncharacteristic. Uh, sorry. Uh, me, I got a child due in a couple of months. So I can't really, I mean, it's very exciting and scary. So who knows what's going to happen? But no, countless thousands, everybody. We are working on our follow-up album, Tremble. Very cool. It's going to be a whole monster movie type romp through time and space. Please go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash countless thousands. Support us because it's going to be very scary trying to have another newborn in the house and, and still produce music and whatnot. But dude, I, I, man, like with our lineup that we got right now is incredible. The guy who plays bass with me these days played in a band that I listened to in high school that like made me want to start playing music. There was a weird full circle thing happening. Yeah, our lineup is was badass. It Nirvana? The music 
No, automatic seven. The music we're putting out right now Stone is, Temple is Pilots? really terrific. Patreon.com slash countless thousands. Uh, I, I don't really tweet anymore because fuck Elon Musk, but so, you know, at countless one zero 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 S. And then uh, if you live in the state of California, SB9 is a good, uh, you know, let's get some, let's get some more housing. Oh, I don't know. Okay. Submit okay. your cases to know, HCD. If you, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's compliance review Time at goes. hcd.ca.gov. If you've got problems with the local policies and whatnot. All right. <laughs> I can, I can go on. Enthusiastic plug. Patreon.com slash unpops, unpopsnetwork.supercast.tech. You can also, we put up video clips on YouTube at unpops. So you can follow us there and see me rub my eye during the part where I'm talking. So I'm definitely <laughs> going to be on camera because that's how Zoom works. And I think that's it. Let's get out of here. Elise, right. say yeah. goodbye. Bye. Danger, <laughs> say goodbye. Bye, everybody. We love you. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. We love you. That's <laughs> usually how I end the podcast. I love them, too. Bring a blood object to Bristol Street. Bring a blood object to Bristol Street. Bring a blood object to Bristol Street.